Wisdom Podcast. This is your host, Justin Dora. And today I want to talk about uh, the Great Commission and discipleship. And I know I've talked about this before on the podcast, but it's just been a fresh thing in my mind and heart recently. And so I want to just dive in here to Matthew 28. And oh, by the way, I may ad-lib off of that and talk about something totally unrelated. You just never know. Here we go. Verse 18, Matthew 28 says this, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, historically, or maybe traditionally, when we've looked at this verse, what always comes to my mind is we, we take that phrase, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we immediately have this mental picture of putting someone underwater and saying, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that's where we leave that little phrase in the Great Commission. And I don't think that's a wrong picture or a bad picture. I think it's an incomplete picture. You see, the word baptism doesn't just mean dunking in water. In fact, if you were to look up the word in the Greek, it doesn't mean uh, dunking in water at all. What it means is immersion. And so it fits to immerse someone in water, buried with him in baptism, according to Romans 6, raised to walk in newness of life. That totally fits. But the challenge is... When you understand the nature of God, that he's three in one, that he is Trinity, and that literally means um, uh, that the Godhead is other-centered, self-giving love towards one another, and that creation the whole point of creation was to pull, was to, to create man and include them in the divine life of Father, Son, and Spirit— When you have that lens and then you look at this verse, it opens things up just a little bit. So go with me here. What if in addition to dunking or immersing in water as a symbol of being buried with Christ and raised in newness of life, what if it also could mean or does mean immerse people in the relationship between Father, Son, and Spirit? Help them realize this is the nature of the Godhead. This is who Jesus is as both God and man. This is what his life meant for humanity to include us in the life of the Godhead. Therefore, from that place, from that understanding of the nature of God and of his relationship within the Trinity itself, teach them to obey. And, and, you know, the... The thing I've been thinking about this week, honestly, is so often we think of obedience through the lens or through the grid of willpower. We think God's will is really difficult because I messed up. I must not want to do it. Therefore, I must bend my will to do his will. And willpower-based obedience becomes our lifestyle. And unfortunately, what happens over time is we get worn out, we get tired, we get burned out, and we wonder why no one else on the planet wants to do this. But the problem is we've never been fully made aware of or awakened to the reality that it's God himself, Father, Son, and Spirit 
desire for us to participate in their life. Uh, Peter says in Second Peter 1, he says, uh, uh, we've been given these precious promises that we might share or we might participate in the divine nature. It's there, There's a participation that comes in relationship with God that actually is the power to live out the kingdom of God or to live out a life that reflects and reveals Jesus, the Father, and the Holy Spirit. And the truth is, the grace of God is the only power source for obedience in the Bible. The will of man was never intended to be the power source for obedience to live a godly life. It is the grace of God which is unearned. In other words, there's nothing you can do to get it. It's a free gift. You get to receive it. You already have it. Enjoy it. And it is the power source. It is the ability. I love how Paul writes in Philippians 2. He says, um, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And oh, by the way, that, that phrase, fear and trembling, literally means a fearful mistrust of yourself. Work out your salvation with a fearful mistrust of yourself. And let, in other words, do not trust yourself for the working out of this salvation, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to do. If you want to do the will of God, you better let God's will manifest in you. You better let him do it by the grace of God and not through your own human will trying to bend it to match God. You realize that in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah says that self-righteousness is filthy rags. And a lot of times what we deem as obedience is self-righteousness. Self-righteousness isn't just... I'm trying to make myself look good. It's through my own power I am trying to make myself righteous. It would be like Jesus saying, come and follow me and make yourself a fisher of men. No, it's come and follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. Throughout the Gospels, even into the Old Testament and obviously in the New Testament, there is a consistent theme of the grace of God is the power of God and the unearned ability and desire from God to live out a godly life. And unfortunately, we have read it through a wrong lens. We've read it through our own human interpretation. We've thought, wow, English must be the highest form of the written word, and we don't have any value, at least in our postmodern era, for really getting into Greek, Hebrew, and the nuances that come with these languages, that the more you explore, you're like, how in the world did that ever get translated in English to mean something that the original language has no place for? And I guess the, the, the thing that I have been processing and having conversations around is discovering again that so many are afraid of being free. They're afraid of walking in purity and holiness when it is born from the grace of God versus our attempts to make ourselves in God's image or whatever version we have come up with in our own minds of what Jesus is like, let alone what the scripture says or let alone what church history might say, but what we come up with and we try to do it in our own effort and we think God really likes that. And unfortunately, he doesn't. Not be, and it's not that he's mad at us. It's that he knows it won't work. Why do you think he sent his son to incarnate as a human, as humanity, and to become for us what we could never become for ourselves, the righteousness of God? He became sin that we might become righteous. 
It's a free gift. There's nothing in and of ourselves. We did not earn it. We did not produce it. We cannot take credit for it. And honestly, the other thing uh, that I have been thinking and meditating on related to leadership is what I'm discovering is so, so much of what we see in the body of Christ today or we read about or we see blog posts on or we see YouTube videos about or we see sound bites on related to leadership is more about me getting credit for what I came up with and it's really about leadership. True leadership doesn't need credit. True leadership doesn't need recognition, doesn't need someone applauding you and patting you on the back because in the end of the day, it's not about you. It's about serving someone else and seeing them fulfill, uh, uh, the, the seeing them walk out the journey that God has for them. And at the end of the day, of course, your journey is uh, God cares about it, but he's more committed to it than you are. And my concern is so much of even my own journey of unlearning what I think leadership is, was, or was supposed to be is realizing, my goodness, there is this lens that I have had that I want credit for stuff that at the end of the day, I didn't even come up with. God did. And Either he gave it to me as a gift or through another person gave it to me as a gift and I just forgot where that came from. And all of a sudden I'm like, whoa, I want credit for that. And it's amazing because really it, it doesn't matter. It's just like when you're a parent, you get so excited when your kids get something that, oh, by the way, you poured your whole life out for. But at the end of the day, you don't care and it doesn't matter. What matters is them experiencing Fruitfulness, them experiencing life, them experiencing peace, whatever it might be. So what if the whole point of discipleship is people awakening to the relationship between Father, Son, and Spirit, the awareness of the presence of God, the power of God, the grace of God found in a person, and the world is longing to be let in on the secret that God has accomplished it on behalf of mankind. That all might hear and all might know that God is good, God is for them, and he's been sustaining them this whole time. And they just didn't know. What does it mean for light to shine in darkness? What does it mean for Jesus to hold all things together? What does it mean that everything was created by him, for him, and in him? Other than he is holding the world together. It's amazing when you see scientists, and some of you may have seen this, there's this... um, I'm going to totally botch all the terms, but there's this particle in, in the 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 um, within a person that literally, if you look at it under a microscope, it literally looks like a cross. And it's and you know, obviously, it's a church that's putting this together. But their whole thing is, what if this is part of Colossians one? where Jesus is literally holding all things together, where he's giving desire, he's giving passion for, things that are totally in the kingdom of God, in the in the in his dream that people will realize they've always been loved, they've always been accepted, they've always been forgiven, they've always been believed in. And oh, by the way, to go, oh, thank you, I received that, is an admission you needed forgiveness, you needed saving, you needed rescuing, because you couldn't do it in and of yourself. And if you think people can exist apart from God, then what you're actually saying is that people are God in and of themselves, because nothing can exist apart from life itself, and life is God. And maybe it's the humility of God to sustain people who don't give him credit, who don't believe in him, who don't think he's real. 
And yet he continues to give them life. He continues to give them joy. He continues to give them love. He continues to give them peace in moments so that they might finally surrender and say, you're right, I believe. I trust you. I'm tired of doing this all in my own steam. And maybe what's keeping people back more than we realize is a perception or a perspective of God that is contrary to his nature and character. And maybe people are actually rejecting a God that never existed, but they've yet to discover the God who's always been. The God of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The God who is three in one. The God who is other-centered, other-focused, self-giving, self-sacrificing love. This is the nature of God. And what if this is the nature of discipleship? And what if it's impossible to make disciples in an effective way until you have woken up to the reality that there's nothing you can do to earn grace? There's nothing you can do to earn salvation. There's nothing you can do to merit something from God. At the end of the day, it's all a free gift. And I find it's the freeness and it's the giftedness that makes it offensive. The reason, especially in our Western world, in our modern times, that we get so offended, I think, at the true gospel of unearnable grace is because you can't do anything for it. You can't earn it. You can't perform for it. It is a gift that you can joyfully say thank you. And in that thank you is the admission I could never do this on my own. I trust you. And that's the good news because here's the reality. Even those who are high achievers have seen this and seen that. At the end of the day, when they're alone, there's nothing that satisfies other than being absolutely accepted apart from what you can produce. Because here's the truth. When you find your acceptance based on what you've done, even the applause don't bring comfort. What brings comfort is to realize that it's not about you. It's not about what you can do. It's not about what you've done. It's not about how impressive you are. It's how good God is. It's how good the Father, Son, and Spirit are. And they are bringing life to your mortal body. They are bringing life to your spirit. They are speaking identity. They are speaking grace. They are speaking life over you. And is it possible to reject that? Yes. Is it possible to say it can't be true? Yes. But that is the nature of deception. Deception doesn't make something false. Deception is thinking that something that is absolutely bedrock true is not real. It would be like standing in the middle of Disneyland, closing your eyes and saying, I am in a prison. Everyone around you would say, you are delusional. You've been deceived. You're not seeing it rightly. Does it change the fact that you're in the park? No. But does it change your experience of the park? You better believe it. Well, that's all I've got to say. I'm going to land this plane and I hope this is encouraging. I'm going to pray for us. Father, thank you for awakening us to the reality of the grace of God. Thank you for awakening us to the reality that you have accepted us, you've included us, you've forgiven us, you have made us new. And God, we thank you that we are waking up to the facts. And we thank you that the world is ready to see, hear, taste, touch, feel, and know that you are love them, that you accept them, that you forgave them, that you already defeated sin on their behalf, 
and they are waiting to hear the news that the prison doors are open and the war is over. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Wisdom Podcast. If you liked what you heard, leave us a review on iTunes, and iTunes will suggest this podcast to others. Thanks, everyone, and take care. Mm-hmm.